Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, hi and welcome. I am your host Emigan Awardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered. And at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you. Whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh, it's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest in this episode of the podcast is Anne Bowden, CEO and founder of Starling Bank. Starling Bank is a game changer when it comes to banks and banking and nothing like it had existed before and created it and trust me this makes the story of how it came to be even more inspiring and fascinating the idea of a Starling Bank you see an app-based bank that allows its customers an easier banking experience and management of finances went against the previous big bank model and Starling Bank has been described as the Amazon of banking to give you an idea of quite how far forward it moved everything And in making her idea a reality, Anne came up against negativity, criticism, humiliation, internal conflict, and her fair share of brick walls. But Starling Bank has gone from strength to strength, and in her book Banking on It, Anne charts the entire story of making Starling Bank a reality. It's a warts and all tale, and it reads like a thriller. Trust me, it's unputdownable. So I was delighted that Anne agreed to join me on the show because she shares with me what it's like to be a woman in your mid fifties who has an idea that everyone around you says isn't possible. She explains what it's like to be misunderstood in the workplace, how to navigate a predominantly male industry, how she managed conflict on the journey to creating Starling Bank, why the way we communicate with women about money and how they manage their finances has to change, the grit and determination required to make an idea a reality, and why an idea is nothing without execution. Plus, she shares the business advice that she wants anyone who has an idea to know. I highly recommend the book. I read it in two settings as I two sittings as I said. I was utterly gripped. What a treat to have Anne Bowden, CEO and founder of Starling Bank, sharing her business advice on this episode of The Emma Gunn Show. Welcome to the podcast Anne Bowden. You are the CEO and founder of Starling Bank. And my goodness, what a story you have to tell. How are you? I'm very well. I'm really looking forward to talking to you today. I'm excited to talk to you because I mean this story is extraordinary to the point almost where I don't know where to begin. And I wonder whether the story starts many many years before you came up with the idea for Starling Bank. It probably does. Um it starts from me being a new graduate coming to London in the in the early 80s and to pursue a, a career in banking technology. 
And after many, many years in many, many banks around the world, um, I came to the conclusion that wouldn't it be a good idea to start a new bank with a new way of engaging with customers that was fairer to customers, that was doing things differently using the best technology. So that was a journey of and the start of the whole concept of starting a new bank. Because uh, I remember I interviewed the beauty journalist Joe Fairley a few years ago. And when she was asked, uh, when she is commissioned, someone says, Oh, can you write this feature for us, Joe? They say, How long will it take? And she says, Two hours and 30 years of experience. <laughs> Spot on. Spot on. And so, what I think is really brilliant about your story, and we can kind of dig into this, is that when it comes to tech, I think people get seduced by this idea of young people with new ideas, fresh, pe- fresh perspectives, usually men, let's face it, yeah. Um, yeah. who are like, hey, let's break the internet and do this. And they come up with some newfangled thing. What I love about your story is you were in the industry for a long time, you watched carefully. And from your observations and from your learnings, the things you'd seen that work, the things that you've seen that happen, you said, this is the future. Yeah, it was very much uh, from experience. Um, I'm not the typical, you know, tech um, bro entrepreneur, you know, sort of, um, I'm a five foot tall Welsh woman who had lots of experience um, of banking technology. That became very frustrated by the banks looking after themselves and looking inwards and mm-hmm. everything had changed, technology had changed and people were shopping differently, buying their music differently, um, getting information differently and the banks weren't really getting it. Mm-hmm. So I started dreaming of one day, somebody should start a bank and wouldn't this bank be fantastic and have all these new things in it. And I also started dreaming of that one day I would start my own business. And I've always loved fashion. So I had this idea that perhaps, you know, after a long career in banking, I, I, I have some sort of dress shop or sort of, sort of fashion boutique, whatever. And at the same time, people were wanting a new bank. And one day I got up and realized that I knew nothing about fashion, really. I was just very, very good at shopping. <laughs> and, and what I really wanted to do was to start a new bank. And that was the start of a journey. Um, And it turned out to be quite a journey. And you've documented the journey really brilliantly in in your book, uh, Banking On It, which I'm holding up to the screen, which is great on an audio platform. Listeners, the link will be in the show notes. And I think you said something just before we started talking, started recording, which is a lot of people read it and say it doesn't read like a book about starting not just a bank. Let's not forget that this is a new era in banking, really, isn't it? Yeah, uh, we were the first of the of the digital banks. Um, up until then, people didn't really get the idea that people have busy lives and, and want to do their banking as they go. They want great apps that are really secure on their phone. Um, and perhaps the days of queuing up in your high street branch were, were over. Mm. And so I was selling the whole idea of new sorts of banking, plus the prospect of, yeah, I was going to start this bank and it's going to be a whole new company with tech built from scratch. And probably that proposition was a bit too awesome for most people <laughs> to, 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 to understand, because I was basically knocking on doors saying, uh, yeah, I've been an entrepreneur. Um, this is my first time entrepreneur. I've never started a business before. Um, yeah, uh, yes, I know I'm in my mid-50s. 
Yeah, I know I spent my whole life working in big organizations, uh, but I'm going to start this new bank and it's going to have the best technology in the world, all the technology from Silicon Valley. It's going to be fair to customers and it's going to pass on the benefit of all of this to customers. And, and it's going to take mili have millions of customers and it's going to take all the market share away from the big banks. And to be honest, they didn't either believe it or didn't think I could deliver it. So it was quite a it was quite a hard sell. And yeah, seven years later, we've done it, and it's very exciting. And the book is the story of all the things that happened to me along the way, and a lot of things happened to me. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to gloss over those seven years, my <laughs> friend. We're going to dig into it. So do you know what one of my favorite parts of the book is? Is the, the very last sentence actually is is in the acknowledgements where you say thank you to the people who said I can't do it because I do like a challenge. Yes, yes. Yeah, a lot of people thought I was just crazy. Um, you know, and that had many layers. It was this could not be done. You can't mm -hmm. take market share from Barclays, you know, and two and a half million people now use Starling. You can't take market share from Barclays. You can't actually build the tech. Mm -hmm. You know, it's impossible to build, to take Silicon Valley new tech and use it for the benefit of customers. Um, you never make any money, you know, sort of, you know, this this is a this is a fantasy. You'll never actually turn a profit. And we've been profitable now for the last year. Uh, and finally, we don't think you can do it. Mm. Um, and yeah, a lot of women get the same sort of feedback. Um, people expect those tech entrepreneurs to be 30 year old guys with beers to be honest and and I wasn't you know in that image and it was quite difficult for them to to accept that so yeah it was a you're fighting the stereotypes and you're also fighting the fact that it's never been done mm -hmm. I mean I've spent majority of my career as a beauty journalist and I will say that the beauty industry is predominantly women. Obviously, there are some men at the top, but predominantly women. And so what you see, actually, is you see incredible women who grow with the industry and then start their own businesses. And it's in, and and the women around them don't tell them no. But I cannot when I was reading the book, I thought I cannot imagine what it must have been like for Anne not to have the buffer. I'm sure there are other women in the banking industry, but it's a, it's a completely different dynamic. Yeah, majority of people, you know, I've had a, a long career with being the only woman in the room. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I pursued a career of banking where, you know, in, in certain echelons of banking, there are hardly any women. There, there are women in the branches. But when it comes to, you know, senior roles in, uh, that are doing the wheeling and dealing, there aren't many women. Uh, I'm in tech, so computer science and tech. There aren't any women. And then when you combine it with entrepreneurship, where only 1% of VC funding, venture capital funding, goes to women-founded businesses, there aren't any women. So, so, But I'm used to it. Mm -hmm. I'm used to being the only woman in the room. I'm used to having, um, of being unusual. And, uh, and therefore, I suppose I was better able to cope with the rejection and the the negativity of people that told me it couldn't be done mm. yeah and the fact that people told me it was just too hard meant I was totally determined to do it <laughs> and, and we're on the next phase of our journey and 
I'm really excited about doing the next thing that people can't say that we can't do. Mm. Well, I want to ask a little bit about you just said there about um, I was used to I was used to being the only woman in the room. I was used to like you can be used to something, but it doesn't make it okay. Did you minimize yourself? Did you have to adapt and edit who you were in order to navigate all those years in the business? Yeah, I think that you have to, in some respect, do as need what you need to do to get on in the job, whilst realizing that what's happening is wrong. And despite the fact that you are being minimized and you are not being taken necessarily seriously in the job, when you had the opportunity to fight for other women and you see women coming up the organization, then you could speak out. Mm. Um, it is, yeah, it's difficult. And you have to have, you know, great sort of interpersonal skills to actually navigate this very, very difficult path. Uh, because women are either being seen as being too hard or too soft. Okay. So in most organizations, you know, most big organizations have talent reviews where they look at, at individuals and discuss their potential. And I've been in so many over the years listening to how they describe women. Oh, so she's a bit aggressive, you know, she's a bit driven or whatever. Um, yes, therefore she's too hard. Um, oh, she's a bit soft. She doesn't quite, you know, get her point over, uh, you know, sort of, so she's a bit soft, whatever. She's either a bit hard or a bit soft. She's never quite right. A bit like a bald egg, actually. Nah. <laughs> the curate's egg, the famous yeah, curate's yeah, egg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's a really... Uh, that is a difficult thing to to manage though because if you're constantly not right whatever you try I think a lot of women listening to this can probably relate to that thing of you try and accommodate and then that actually makes the situation worse you go in and you're bold and that all the doors shut in your face and I guess it's finding that sweet spot. I think that I came to the conclusion that you can never get it right so just forget about it just carry on being you um, and you know, I, I believe that you should stop trying to fix the women. There's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with the women. Fix the men. Mm -hmm. Fix the system. Because we somehow, as women, spend a lot of time, you know, worrying about, you know, getting the mentor, getting the positioning ourselves correctly in a conversation. We, we, we're obsessed with trying to make ourselves different. I think that I came to the conclusion that there was nothing actually I could do about it. I was the person I was and I just had to carry on. And I think I went through phases in my career about trying to fit in and then realize I couldn't be mm -hmm. me um, and, and not really take it too personally, uh, but blame, you know, blame the system rather than me if things went wrong. Have you seen it improve or did you ever feel as though you made headway and you thought, actually, I, I might not have made it better for me, but I've made it for the next person that they were better for the next person, the woman they work with? Yeah, I, I think it happens on a company by company basis rather than across the board. Um, across the board, there are just not enough women getting to senior positions. Uh, and, you know, that is no better than 30 years ago. Uh, but you do see certain organisations where, women are getting and getting on such as Starling we have 42% of our senior people are women uh, but it's easy in an organization where people see success and women as being the same thing and and, and, and compatible uh, 
it's not getting a huge amount better in lots of companies where despite a lot of effort going into it, you still, still, you still come across the, the meeting. And nowadays the Zoom or the, or the Teams call where all the important people are men. Mm. <laughs> and that's still out there and it's still a big issue. What I've noticed with listeners especially is they have over the years since I've been doing the podcast have maybe messaged or emailed in expressed dissatisfaction with their working situation for various reasons that we've covered as you've just very uh, kindly explained and now they are starting out on their own and they're starting their own business they're becoming entrepreneurs which is so exciting and so the thing I wanted to ask you about is that day is how you take the idea the thing that's been turning over in your head and how it becomes real because that's I think that's the part you can have an idea but it's the execution it's articulating it to somebody to get somebody else to understand what you've been thinking (laughs) the first thing you have to do is to is to start you know the first time you say the words that you're going to start this company I remember the day I first said the word words um, I'm going to start a bank and I listened to myself saying those words and it felt silly. You know, people don't start banks. And if they're going to start a bank, they're a billionaire and I'm not a billionaire. And, and if you're going to start a bank, well, it's a difficult thing to do. And would people judge me for being ambitious? But the more you say the words, the more comfortable you, you get with that concept. And you have to start. Mm-hmm. So you've got whatever idea you have, whatever sort of vision you have of a new company, um, it's no good having it inside your head. You have to actually do something. And men tend to start things and do things with little idea of how, you know, how they're going to achieve it. Mm. Women tend to be a little bit more cautious, um, a lot more logical. And because you're a lot more logical, you try to do a very, very good job before you tell people about that idea. And that delay causes a problem. So you need to get out there and you need to start talking to people, knocking on doors. And the first time you explain your idea, you'll have lots and lots of negative feedback where people will be very patronizing and say, you haven't got a hope of doing it. And you take all that feedback and you next time you just have answers for it and you just keep on going and the more you do it the better you become at pitching and but nothing happens unless you actually start it's the start is that you're reminding me of that uh, research that came out recently that says something like when uh, men look at a job description even if they've got 60 percent of the skill they'll go yeah i reckon i can do that women if they've got 60 percent, they'll say oh i best not So women out there, if you have an idea, start it, tell Mm -hmm. somebody. Um, That is the first stage in the journey. You know, I I meet people who have spent years, you know, doing the business plan, doing the research. And you ask them, have you actually done anything? Have Have you tried to raise money? Have you gone to an incubator? Have you started talking to people about how you'd launch this product? No, no, I'm getting all the research done first. No, you have to start. Mm -hmm. That's start the journey well you you mentioned there about um women doing all the research and what have you I have in the last few months been trying to I really want to put together a series of podcasts about money and Mm. I have been shocked at how difficult it has been 
of all of the things I have covered on this show in six years, this is the one that I keep coming up against brick walls with. I want because, and when I do a straw poll of my friends and I'm saying, do you understand investing? Like, would you yeah. know what to do, how to invest? They, they don't have a clue. Or why is it that every time I have a friend who's buying a house, they talk about how difficult the mortgage process is and how stressful it is. And it's because it's unknown. Wouldn't it be great if there was just somewhere where you could find out about it anyway? Has, was that something you wanted to demystify in terms of women and money? Because do you see there as being a different way in which we communicate money to women? Absolutely. And uh, we have something called the Make Money Equal campaign. And you know that actually started when uh, this was pre-COVID. I was at a hairdresser's and you know, you're waiting there and there's a pile of magazines and, and there's a pile of women's magazines and a pile of men's magazines. And I started leafing through them and I'm always looking for money articles. You know, that's that's my obsession. <laughs> I, I run a bank. I, I, I do. A, I run a bank, which is all about helping people manage their money. So so I was looking through it and all the articles in the women's magazines about scrimping and saving, you know, it's sort of saving on the coffee so you can buy the shoes or other guilt trips of buying expensive handbags. And the men's books were all about investing in the power suit, <laughs> um, investing in cryptocurrencies and, and, and photographs of powerful people being in control of their money. And I thought, you know, there's something here that we could do. And solving the gender pay gap and actually figuring out how women can be much more successful in being in control of their financial position and happens by every organization and every sort of group doing their little bit. So we decided at Starling to launch the Make Money Equal campaign, which is all about asking the media to talk to men and women in a similar way about money. And we had a huge amount of um, uh, feedback and sort of positive reception on this. You know, yeah, just, just forget about all these, you know, trivialization of women, you know, treat women the way you should be treating them when you talk about money. And this year we launched a, 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 an image library, which is free to use, uh, which is for anybody who wants to use images on their podcast, on their on their sort of blogs or at newspapers, whatever. And they represent men and women and all sorts of different sorts of people in a more normal way when associated with money. As we found that if we went through all these various um, uh, sort of per uh, periodicals or magazines or podcasts, Sort of ad, sort of advertising uh, about money and women. It would show the woman being quite infantile, looking over her piggy bank, mm -hmm. and the man would be there with wads of you know sort of twenty pound notes and you know sort of buying the fast car. Mm -hmm. We need to change that. So we have an image library which is free to use, where people can actually download the image and use it. And it shows women and men and all sorts of different sort of um, um, diverse groups in a more representative way with debit cards and money and, and spending. 
When you were starting the bank and were you talking to people saying, would you use this service? And were you talking to men and women equally? And were you finding out what they needed and wanted? And was there a big disparity between the two? Yeah, we did a lot of talking to people about uh, what they needed and what they wanted. Um, the, The women were much more careful with their answers and really wanted to be detailed and thorough mm-hmm. and the men you know and it, it's a huge stereotype here um kept wanting to give me advice oh. <laughs> yeah 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 but but I sort of you know I've raised money for a bank and I sort of know what I yeah 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 but but it's that's what we faced in with you know women are, are you know are treated differently and we have to change that Mm-hmm. Now, talk. Would you mind explaining to me because I wouldn't know how to start a bank? And one of the things, um, a lot of the times in the book, I thought I'm reading this now because I've read it for the tenth time. So I'm reading it as though I understand it, but I don't know what you have to do to raise money or get an investment. Would you mind detailing that because I'm sure there yeah. are people listening who would be keen to yeah, know. Yeah, first of all, there are certain things about um, a bank which is just like starting any business. Uh, and there's certain things about a bank which are special to banking. So I'll do the special to banking, first of all. Uh, we take care of people's money and we got, you know, seven and a half, eight billions worth of, um, of money uh, from depositors. And therefore, the Bank of England and the regulators want to make sure that we have all the processes and procedures to manage that money and to keep that money safe. And therefore, the Bank of England and the regulators in the UK set a very, very high hurdle on what we have to do to prove that we are worthy of doing that. And when you apply for a banking license, you literally have to have boxes and boxes and boxes of proof that you can do what you say you're going to do. But setting that aside, uh, the, the, one of the interesting things about um, the journey is that I now help entrepreneurs, but I was a small entrepreneur, you know, sort of small business entrepreneur starting a bank and I had to raise money. Uh, so uh, we had to raise money for our capital. And I, I started knocking on doors, asking people to back me, for investors to back me. And I took two years to raise that money. And uh, it was two years of spending my own money and um, basically getting lots of favours from lots of companies uh, to help me prepare everything I needed until I raised the money. So what normally happens is your company, um, you set a valuation for your company and then you go to investors and say, um, you know, I'll sell you 10% of the company for, say, 10 million, right? Or 10% of the company for 1 million, uh, and you need to go around a number of investors that have funds. So how these funds work is that they um, they go out and raise money from lots of different places. They create a fund and they invest in lots of businesses. Um, the only problem is they tend to invest in businesses which look very like each other. And they tend to invest in businesses that look like successful other businesses. And therefore, raising money when you're doing something new and you are someone someone different tends to be a bit more difficult. I can imagine. And I guess I guess you were dealing with the banking doesn't need to change. 
yeah, most people said, well, my bank has an app. Most people said, uh, I don't think you'll ever take any market share from the big banks. Most people, you know, said, well, I don't understand what the problem is. Uh, but you, you have to realize that, you know, things are changing. And especially with this, you know, recent pandemic, more and more people want to do things in a digital way. More and more people want tools that really make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and trying to explain to people that the world is changing and it, people may not appreciate the idea now, but, you know, in, in a couple of years time, the world would have changed, the technology would be there. So you're selling an idea that people can't really appreciate. Mm-hmm. So it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a conundrum. If everybody's doing it, you won't get the money. But if they can't imagine what it's going to look like, you won't get the money. <laughs> and this is, this is why the book is so fascinating. But tell me what happens when you have that idea. But I'm guessing during the process, because of other, in, other input, positive and negative, I'm guessing you had to evolve along the way and accept that certain parts of the idea you had to relinquish and others you may be that you weren't so keen on you had to absorb into the what this was growing into yeah I think that um you have to adjust and and what they call pivot you know to what people want to want to invest in and what you can deliver Uh, but when I look back to the original presentations that I um that I raised money on in 2014 2015 um the vision's still there. It was all about those presentations painted a picture of everybody living on their mobile phone, um, a very safe app that people could do all their business on, uh, really sharing the benefits of technology uh, with customers. Um, so yes, um, along the way, we've added um, a small business um, proposition. We now have over 400,000 small businesses that bank with Starling. Um, and uh, the yes, the, the idea is bigger than better than we started with. Um, when I posted on my Instagram that I had finished reading this book, I was stunned actually at how many, within seconds actually, how many messages I got from people saying, oh my goodness, when I signed up for that account, it was so quick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's all about, you know, t- we do a huge amount um, out of tech uh, sort of analysis and of the application using the best technology in the world. So uh, despite the fact that you can download the app and, um, and, and, and sign up for an account very, very quickly uh, and, you know, get your, get your card and start shopping and on, on sort of on your e-wallet or with your card, you know, very, very quickly. There's a huge amount been happening over uh, sort of in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking up all these various, you know, sort of ways of actually verifying you um, and, and making sure that the people we deal with are the people we're dealing with. Um, and then all that technology then protects you as you're using the account. Um, so the thing about Starling is that, you know, I got a computer science degree. It's we, we believe that um, tech is there to protect you and we can use the best tech to make sure that you get the best experience 
uh, and also your money is safe. And because we got the banking license, it means that everything on your, on your account up to £85,000 is basically protected by the government. So it is a very safe proposition. Now, in the journey of creating the app, there was uh, some drama, some tension. I mean, it will when it's made into a film, I firmly believe it will be. It will be so tense at certain points. But you, um, I guess when you have an idea, the thing I was interested, you have this idea. It's not a committee of people. It's your idea. And you start to bring people on board. And then maybe the people who were once working with you begin to work against you. That's That must have been extremely challenging. It's extremely challenging. And yeah, in, in the book, it talks about, you know, at one point that the, yeah, a lot of people leave. And that put me in a very, very difficult position. And, and it was humiliating, to be honest. It was, um, it was a very much a low point. Um, but um, it's all a question of picking yourself up and carrying on. It does seem as though you don't linger in the negative when it happens it, it doesn't seem as though you sort of trudge through it in any sort of self-harming way yeah it, it, it was a horrible you know sort of points where um I felt you know that I'd lost everything and that I had you know I had a rival now that had that that had a head start um and I did feel very alone uh, but I started again and this time with a better team, a more driven team, a team that ultimately went on to, to, to build Starling. Uh, yeah, it was, there were, there, there were, you know, there are points where um, it does look as if I'm going to really fail. You know, when you, um, I remember, I remember going home one day when, um, you know, sort of when I was basically deserted by some people. And um, I had a text to say that the Financial Times was going to publish an article saying that, you know, Starling was next to finished and, you know, then um, this had happened. And I, I popped into Marks and Spencer's in order to get something for dinner and was coming out and it was sitting in the car. And I went on to my phone and I saw the article. And it was, it was basically somebody saying that, you know that the proposition was dead. It wasn't going to wasn't going to survive, and it had been. I'd worked so so hard to get publicity, to get somebody to say that this was going to be a big success. But I have an even bigger article saying that we weren't going to succeed, um, and that was tough. And but I had to pick myself up and figure out how we're going to continue. And I think that you learn how to how to survive these things. Um, and yeah, I was so yeah, I was thrilled, and I, I think I was proud of myself the fact that I could recover mm-hmm. and, and and start again. And I think it 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 helps you for the next time these similar things happen. Yeah, who in that situation? I wonder because you, there's no one who can say to you don't worry, Anne, it's going to be all right. It'll all work out because it's uncharted territory. No one knows. Who were you leaning on uh, in order to, I mean, obviously you're a resilient woman yourself, but did you have a team around you who were able to support you and give you the boost you needed? 
no, I didn't have a team. I'd lost that team. Uh, but a couple of days later, um, an old friend of mine, um, you know, turned up in the office with a cup of coffee, basically, a guy called Alan Chandler, um, who um, popped in and saw me in a deserted office um, and said, well, you know, I'll come and give you a hand. And um, Alan stayed for nearly a year without any salary to work on the vision. And over the next year, we had people, um, you know, hearing about um, a group of people that were going to build a bank like no other mm. that had a concept of using technology for good, of building a bank that was fair to customers and joined the team. And they, it was a very brave thing for them to do. You know, they were giving up jobs elsewhere. They were making a commitment to something which was untested and it had a, a bit of a failure. And these people came together and they weren't being paid to create something which was had never been done before. And I will be forever grateful for the people who, who backed me. Uh, and it's a huge... And I think from that time onwards, it was, you know, it, it was wonderful. I had a lot to do. I had a big, big mission to fulfill. Um, but I had people who believed in the vision that were prepared to um, put their all into it. You know what really struck me about the communication that you shared in the book, because you, you share snippets from emails and text messages, is... Um, I guess I was anticipating game playing, but you were very transparent in your communications with people. You were very honest. And that really wasn't something that I was expecting. Yeah, I, I think it's easier to be honest. It's easier to be straightforward. I, I put a lot of effort into um, writing down my thoughts and, and telling people what I think. Um, People and, you know, whether it's customers or investors or, or Starlings, the people who work for, uh, for Starling, um, it's easier if you actually say what you think and be honest. And that's a cultural thing. You know, we believe in doing the right thing at Starling, and that's very important to us. Uh, but it's also being straightforward in how you communicate. Mm. But I think... Um... Yes, I know that you were very considered about what you were saying, but I think when you are, when you have this idea and failure is kind of shrouding you, there would have, honestly, when I was reading some of the emails, I thought, I don't know as if I would have been able to be that honest. I would have wanted to, people to think it was all going okay, but actually being honest with the fact it wasn't seemed to be the thing that actually invited people in to help you. Yeah, I think that that honesty means that um, it creates a trusting environment. Uh, Starting, you know, what was going through my head when I initially started Starling was, yeah, I could do this, but if I could try to do it, and it's an awesome plan, you know, what I was trying to do was a little bit too awesome, mm -hmm. it was quite difficult to raise the money for, um, and I was worrying is people would think I was silly for trying something that was too bold or too audacious. Once I got over the fear of you know, people thinking that I was trying to be too big, too audacious, too bold. It was great because you can actually express your emotions and your and your ambitions in a very straightforward way. 
was that one of the things that you would advise is that one of the things you would advise to people who may be listening to this and they've got a big idea of just saying don't be scared of your idea don't don't be scared of how bold it is just keep going forward absolutely and I think one of the things you have to realize it's not about the idea uh, it's about the execution of the idea there are great ideas all the time but most of them don't actually get done because nobody actually starts mm-hmm. don't try and hide your idea uh, the one of the problems you have with entrepreneurship is that people think if somebody gets my idea they'll steal the idea and um it will be you know so it won't be mine um tell people communicate it start it um, a secret idea never gets anywhere. Um, the skill is in the execution, in the resilience, in the determination. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the that is the unique part of it all, uh, not necessarily the idea. Have has that kind of bro entrepreneur world uh, accepted you, or kind of have you felt any warmth from that kind of area of the business world? Because maybe you executed an idea that they feel they should have had, but better? Yeah, it's it's quite interesting in that um, you go through certain phases whereby, you know, the first years of the, of the idea were really, really tough. Um, you know, people just didn't believe I could do it. Um, and, uh, and it was really hard to, to raise money. Now we, you know, we've net raised nearly 700 million pounds of equity. We have, you know, sort of, seven and a half billion of deposits. Um, we have 1,600 people in the UK, in Cardiff, Southampton and London. We're a successful business and we find it relatively easy to raise money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yes, um, they have become, they have now accepted that it is possible to change career in your 50s. It is possible to for a woman to raise money for one of the biggest tech companies that the UK has, and that can actually give back to both customers and and Starling as the employees. So yeah, but it took a while to convince them. I I, I can imagine. <laughs> um, if someone's listening to this and they are thinking that they want to better manage their money or they want to start a business. And they just feel that they're starting from, they don't know anything. Where would you advise people to begin? How would you advise people, women especially? Yeah, I think the first thing is to read and take inspiration from lots of different sources that are available. Uh, there are lots of good books um, they, uh, about starting. Um, mm-hmm. I remember I had a couple of, um, I had a couple of editions of The Lean Startup. Uh, that's that's really really good um there's a books about one of the things that really inspired me is that when you read the biographies or stories of very very successful entrepreneurs um they have near death experiences as well Mm -hmm. their businesses almost die lots and lots of different times um and when you read these books and you see that they've gone through that it gives you the inspiration to keep on going when things get bad. Um, so, so you have an idea. It may be a great idea unless you actually test it and go out there and use it. It's never going to happen. Uh, you know, you are going to have really, really tough times. It's a question of keeping on going. 
um, and and really being very very straightforward when you ask for help. Mm. Uh, people people will help. People will if people can see that you that you're getting some traction and people are supporting you and there's a chance it'll happen. Uh, people will actually give you help. And that help may not be just traditional VC, venture capital funding. It may be other ways of people helping on your way. I remember someone saying to me about 10 years ago when I first went freelance, they said, never take business advice from somebody who hasn't failed and or lost it all and, and or back again. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people um, giving business advice that haven't actually tried to be in business themselves. There's a lot of people coming out of corporate life and, you know, so perhaps they've, they've, you know, they've gone into early retirement or something and think, I know I'll help small business. Uh, it doesn't really work like that. You know, they don't understand that, you know, back in 2014, I was obsessed with the cost of, of photocopying. You know, it was my only obsession where, you know, I had to do, I had to have um, color copies of decks to, to visit in, investors. It was expensive, mm. but um, it was difficult getting the right premises. It was difficult, you know, dealing with the day-to-day -day business of, of, of a startup. And especially if you, if you, if you're different to everybody else's in the startups world, um, uh, I think entrepreneurs or people that have come from that world understand it better than perhaps somebody who spent their whole life in, in, in a corporate. However, people who spent their own whole life in a corporate can change just mm -hmm. like I did and start a business. Do you now, are you now, do you have the bug? Do you want to start lots of other things or are you now just feathering the starling nest? Uh, I think that um, I'm at the start of the journey with starling. You know, we have international aspirations. Um, you know, we are very successful in the UK and I want people sort of around the world to benefit from Starling. Uh, so it's all starting for me. It is, um, yeah, I think I, I think we have the organization now that I've always wanted to work for. You know, I had 30 odd years of working in organizations where, you know, I wasn't like everybody else. But um, I now have an organization that stands for something that is successful, that's going to grow. Uh, Starling is the organization I want to take to the next level. Do you, um, do you think that you spent a lot of your career feeling underestimated? And how does it feel now knowing that when people hear your name or meet you, they're thinking, oh, wow. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, throughout my career, um, I was always seen as the person who would go one step further or perhaps two. Um, I was never seen as the person who was going to run the company. Um, I think that happens to a lot of people. But did you um, know you could, if given the opportunity? Yeah, I've always, I've always had um, spent a lot of my time thinking about um, strategic matters, how businesses could grow. I've really enjoyed my job and put a huge amount of effort into it um I think we're all yeah I think we're now in a situation where uh, people look at Starling and see us as being a very very um 
big successful now UK bank. Um, they probably underestimating our capability to do that on a global level. And so that's what we're going to do next. And does, is that a position that you quite enjoy being in? Just this, it's like the end of the book says, do you quite like thinking, I'll show you, just watch, just wait. Yeah, yeah, I think I do. Um, I'm, I think we're all starting. Uh, the This is the next phase of our development and it's very, very exciting. Uh, more things happen in a week in styling in most organisations in a year. Um, we, 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 we listen to what's going on. We quite, we're quite a human organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have people who are, who show a lot of empathy to our customers. You know, I listen to, I listen to people who deal with customer sort of issues um, on a call and we're open 24 by seven. And I, I'm so inspired by people who put so much energy into into that call and into that into that contact yeah we're we're only just starting um we're on a beginning of a journey rather than the end there's a you have a smile that makes me think that you um always know something that you're just Which is a which is a wonderful thing to do, isn't it? Just hold something back. But also the other thing, um, when I shared on my Instagram that I had read the book, as well as people saying, "Oh gosh, how quick it was to uh, sign up to Starling and get an account," I actually started to get messages from people who had worked with you, and I was like, "Oh God, I've got to ask this." Okay. So I said, "You don't have to say, but I just need to know one thing: was she fair?" Um, because you you read an autobiography and obviously you're getting the person's account of how they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. Every single person came back and said she had time for you. She was fair. And if you went to her with good ideas and you could back up what you were trying to say, she gave you, she would sit you down and talk you through it. Which not always <laughs> the case when that happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I think that... Um... I'm really proud of working with great people because we seem to attract great people. And it's not just, you know, the Starlings that work for Starling Bank, it's the customers. We have great customers. It's something like um, customers who who identify with the values, Mm. sort of want to be part of that organisation. And yes, we have all the negative things as well. And we have a, you know, sort of, we're a bank, so we have to be, you know, do all the right things in the right way. And we had a heavily regulated industry. Um, But I'm so proud of of how we do things. Mm. That's really, really good. It seemed from the messages that I was getting uh, that you are good at nurturing younger talent. Would you say that's one of your skills? Yeah. Um, I'm really, I'm really proud of the fact that we have people of all ages at Starling doing really, really well. And we have people very, very young in their career um, who are doing great jobs. And from, you know, sort of all walks of life, um, of all sorts of different sorts of people. And that really inspires me. And it also changes me. I, one of the mm-hmm. things that I, I'm really keen on is that 
every individual is not stuck in this persona of of that that is fixed we all need to change mm. we all need to change our opinions on things we all need to develop and what i find is that in order to retain this relevance to to the world we live in now you have to absorb ideas and change and i'm just as i'm just as thrilled about how these young people change me as being able to mentor young talent yeah because it's that horrible thing isn't it when um you get to a position and you think you know it all that's when you see people at the top and you sort of see the edges begin to fray because they're not listening to the new yeah and one of the important things is i think that a lot of what i knew was 100% certain of mm. it was actually wrong and i think that you have to say that and you have to you have to move on and and that's the exciting thing uh, every day i'm learning something new every day i have a new experience every day my thinking is is moving on and developing Mm. and that's the exciting thing um i know that our time together is drawing to an end but i wanted to ask you about knowing your strengths and also accepting your weaknesses or knowing where you need to be bolstered by someone else for you what did you know absolutely were your strengths i think my strengths are that i'm an optimist i have drive i can work extremely well and love it um I, I, what i what i need people around me are people who um are have a different set of skills and and in forming a bank you have to have uh, deep engineering skills you have to have deep financial skills and and also the people who um are going to look after the detail mm-hmm. um uh and perhaps bring you down to earth sometimes because perhaps what i'm trying to do is solve something which is too audacious too big um but the and perhaps one of the i love my work i love what i do i can tell yeah really engaged in it uh, but not everybody has to be you know styling doesn't have to be 100% 150% for everyone mm. uh, lots of people have um other things that they 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 consider uh more important they they family um you know uh, looking after uh, um elderly relatives or other missions or community initiatives that they feel deserve their time and those people can find sort of starling um a great em- employer as well mm. and so for me everything is starling it doesn't have to be starling for everyone mm-hmm. And what about learning? Like if if you do understand that maybe you need to know more about something, are you constantly trying to learn and absorb? Yeah, I read lots of books. Um I um listen to lots of podcasts. <laughs> I I I I'm constantly out there bringing information in. Uh and I do that all the time. Um I am you know all day from the moment I get up until I go to bed. I'm somehow listening, reading, googling. Um yeah, and isn't the world wonderful? You know, 20 years ago we didn't have the access to this information. Mm. Now we had to really focus on um doing one thing at a time. 
because we couldn't do many things at a time. Yeah. Um, nowadays, we can do lots together. <laughs> Isn't that great? I'm not one of these people who say, you know, I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe in having fun with everything I'm doing. Um, I love devices. I love different ways of interacting with people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love the world we're living at the moment. And I do think, like you say, the the information that's available to you, you can go onto a podcast platform and you can listen to uh, a, someone who started a bank. You can listen to a WWF wrestler who's talking about their incredible. You can tap into people and information that we just never had such easy access to. And it makes life richer. Yes. It's exciting. <laughs> you know, so the, you know, the, the previous world was all about doing one thing at a time and, and, and work and life being very, very separate. Mm. Those things are changing. We have options in how we work. We have hybrid working. Uh, we have lots of sources of information and entertainment. I, I embrace technology. I embrace this new world. Um, and communication is, is, is very, very easy now. You can connect with so many more people. Mm. Um, I'm really excited about the future. Me too. I'm excited about the future of Starling Bank. Thank you. <laughs> um, it's been such a delight to speak to you. And in order to let people communicate with you listeners, I will be putting all the details of Anne, everything that we've discussed, the book in the show notes. But Anne Bowden, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Bye.